0: Thank you guys for um, coming up here and spending some time together. Um, We wanted to just spend a little time talking about the church, and in particular, uh, the last 18 months has been different for all of us in in so many ways, and we've had to do a lot of thinking, a lot of uh, talking. And so today there seems to have been an emphasis on church history. That wasn't planned. That was just kind of uh, the Lord's will. So I want to talk about the church in our time, though, and just throw some questions at you, and And uh, as always with Q&As, if you would prefer to answer a different question than the one I asked, then that's fine also. Uh, I would love to hear what you have to say. So I'm going to start just kind of broad and basic, and, and you can just kind of take it from there. It seems like that kind of in our time right now, everyone from politicians to doctors to uh, lawyers even are trying to define what the church is supposed to do. That that other people, other than the church, are telling us how to be the church. And so, I want to start with this very basic question that we've alluded to a lot today. But what are the implications of the fact that Christ is the head of the church? But how do we how do we live that out? The fact that Christ is the head of the church. And just some broad thoughts from either or both of you is fine.
1: Okay, wonderful. Um, Christ is the head of of the church, and right away we have this sense of authority, Um, even as we considered in Colossians last night that he is at the right hand of God. That's a place of authority. He is the head. um, He is the sovereign over that church. So how we make any decision uh, must be consistent with that headship, uh, that sense of control. And, And therefore... He has given men in the church the leadership, the care of his church. And they have a responsibility to act consistently with him as the authority. And anything that is inconsistent with that is really a denial of his headship. We are, we're creating, quote, a new head for the church. That's why the pope is not the head of the church. Um, no ecclesiastical body is the head of of the church. It may have a role in helping guide the church, but it's not its head. And the moment anybody, any group of people um, are inconsistent with that, they have to be denounced, ignored, um, and we would say even um, revolted against, protest.
2: Yeah. Yeah, when the reformers and others, talked about Christ as the head of the church. Obviously, there was a specific historical context behind that. But for them, practically, the first application of that principle was because Christ is the supreme authority, and I appreciate that word authority, because sovereignty and authority are encompassed in that idea of head, headship, their first application of that principle was that if Christ is the head of the church, then his word is the final word for the church. So the reason that we align ourselves underneath the teaching of Scripture, the reason we preach from the word of God, the reason we celebrate the word of God resonating in our hearts and in our minds is because it is Colossians 3, the word of Christ, and he is our sovereign king. He's not just the head of the church in a corporate sense. That's Ephesians 1. He's also the head of every believer. He's the Lord of our lives. And even when we think of Romans 10, in contrast to those who would confess Caesar as Lord, if you confess Jesus as Lord and believe in your hearts that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So it's about his lordship, his supremacy, his sovereignty, and our allegiance to him.
0: Very good. That's a good place for us to start. Uh, one big idea that we all, we've talked about it today some, that has dominated a lot of preaching and and even Christian thought, kind of got boiled down to that one phrase, the church is essential. Now, the world has defined essential as Providing a service of some sort, a grocery store or a gas station and things like that. And and so, in one sense, it's almost, it almost feels wrong to equate the church in that same list because we're in a completely different category. But going with that, um, what is it that makes the church essential? And maybe answer it from this standpoint. If an unbeliever was asking, why is the church essential? What, why are you a service that's more important than the grocery store or, or whatever. Just broadly speaking, uh, how would we explain that the church is essential? I'd
1: like to go back to something that Nathan said. Um, some images that he gave us had to do with light and salt. Uh, we are the light of the world. We are salt. Um, and once that saltiness has lost its purpose, It's of no purpose anymore. So we serve a supreme purpose in that we are essential because we provide the spiritual direction for a society. And we have the spiritual answers for that society because we represent the God of society. And so uh, one can do without many of the other things that during this time they said were essential. I don't... Isn't it amazing they talked about what was essential, and I could go to Home Depot, and I could get a bunch of nails, and you had people working on their projects. Many honeydew things got done during COVID.
2: My, my wife says all of those are essential. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Now, that's essential. You've been promising me to fix those cabinets for quite a while now. So essential. But we all know that in the end, we can do without some of those things. It's nice to work on one's home to make repairs in our sprinkler system. But you're right. Lowe's Home Depot Church? No, not at all. Because without our message, there is no life. And without our message, there is condemnation.
2: Yeah, I I would echo exactly that, that... The gospel of Jesus Christ is the only message that saves sinners from sin. It's the only message that gives those who are hopeless hope. The only message that raises dead hearts and opens blind eyes. It is the only saving message. And in a world that's gripped by fear of a virus and the reality of mortality, the church has the only message that is the actual solution to the problem. You shut down the church, you shut down hope. Sure.
0: That's good. Shut down the church, you shut down hope. When uh, coronavirus hit, or however you view it, was planned, however, whatever happened in the sovereignty of God, we'll we'll find out. It probably was actually, uh, who knows.
1: You were about to say something, I I know. I was.
0: I decided, you kind of, to, you I
1: decided to. You're framed.
0: I decided to remain as the moderator and not one of the speakers.
1: Uh.
0: <laughs> but when all this hit, you know, one of the things that we praise the Lord for is the technology that we had that the Word of God could continue going out. You know, I know in our church we had some key guys just immediately uh, getting our, our live stream capability, you know, going and and. Churches around the world and smaller churches, even, you know, the pastors learning how to live stream on their phones and, and however they were able to do that. And that was helpful. That was, you know, when we were told that, uh, one out of four people are going to drop dead, um, that, that we need, you know, two weeks to what? Flatten the curve, right? Yeah, it's still up there, isn't it? Um, so that was a blessing. But now what's happened is, is that, It seems to have created a class of professing Christians who have now permanently become live stream members of their church. And so this is a question that was asked of some of the guests in our video, but I want to ask you the question, and it's kind of loaded, can a person be a Christian and not attend church?
1: Oh, my. You were talking about witnesses, weren't you, earlier? I think you have the answer for this. (laughs)
2: Well, so the answer to that that I would give is that church attendance is not something that we talk about when we talk about what a person must do to be saved, right? The Philippian jailer, Acts 1630, what must I do to be saved? The answer is not go to church. The answer is believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, Salvation, the gospel, is the good news that we are saved, not on the basis of deeds which we have done, not on the basis of our own self-righteousness, but entirely because of what Jesus Christ has done on our behalf, taking our punishment on the cross, rising again from the grave, and imparting to us salvation as a result, not of anything that we offer him, but because of his grace, the gift of faith and repentance that he gives to those who believe. But those who are truly saved will inevitably bear fruit. They bear fruit because their hearts have been transformed. And so the Bible teaches that although we are not saved by works, nonetheless, those who are genuinely converted can they give evidence of that genuine, sincere faith in the fruit of their behavior, the fruits of repentance, the fruits of the Spirit. Scripture uses fruit a lot as a metaphor. And one of those fruits of a true believer is that a true believer not only knows that he belongs to the body of Christ, he wants to be with the body of Christ. So if someone says, well, I love Jesus, but I don't love the church, which was actually conversations we were having before coronavirus. My question is, well, what kind of love is it that you profess when the fruit of your life suggests you don't want to have anything to do with the people of God? So I think there are serious questions about the profession of someone who says, hey, I'm a Christian. I just never go to church. I think that raises questions about the legitimacy of that profession.
1: Sure. No, I would agree with that wholeheartedly. Um, uh, we've often run into people when I say we probably all of us at some point and they'll say we ask them about their faith and they'll give us a moment maybe when they profess and they'll say, but I don't go to the church because there's so many hypocrites there. Have you heard that before? and i don't go to church because i was and some people genuinely wounded by something that happened in the church um, but this is christ's church he died for the church so the question is will christ put in the heart of a true child of god a desire to be with the people of god and i believe that he will and you're right that was a conversation before they love jesus but not the church sort of doing the emergent sort of movement if you will that's not possible it's Christ's church. He died for the church. He loves the church. He loves the local church because it's the gathering of his people. And you can't be that estranged family member, if you will, that that never comes to anyone's birthday or Thanksgiving or Christmas um, because you have issues with other family members and you're OK with that. And so you take that sense in the church. Well, I don't go to church because I have issues with these other family members. Not possible, I don't think.
2: Yeah, and and just to add to that, maybe we could say it this way if you love the Lord, you will love his body, you will love his bride. And it's, I just don't think it's possible to truly love Christ and not love the things that he loves and he loves his bride. I would say this. Obviously, we recognize that there are people who, for health reasons, want to be at church, and they're just not able to be at church temporarily. We understand that, and it's not the kind of thing where we're trying to make those people feel guilty because they have a legitimate reason. I think the question, if I'm interpreting it correctly, is, really aimed at those who are using this as an excuse for their own laziness, which is exposing the apathy of a heart that, again, the fruit of it calls into question whether the profession of faith is really genuine.
0: Great. Yeah, that's, that's been a big issue. and, And in a lot of ways has kind of separated the sheep from the goats in some ways. Uh, we only God knows the state of the heart, but, um, I've heard from many pastors who have who have said that certain members of their church, they just can't get them back, mm-hmm. and they don't really have a reason, but they're just not coming back. And so uh, that's for the Lord to decide, but I appreciate your input on that. Uh, during, the, during the Spanish flu epidemic uh, a century ago, there are many stories of local governments having gone to prominent pastors in their cities and with hat in hand, saying, would you work with us? We need you to close down for a while so that we can use your church as a hospital. Or, um, but but there's there much more of a feel of the government seeing the church as a partner. Um, that has not been the case this time around. Um, the general assumption in our culture has been that the church as an institution is extremely subservient to and less than the government. As an institution. And so my, my question based on all that is, and I know this is a, a bit of a, a hot-button topic, but what's the church's relationship to other God-given institutions, such as the government or the family? How, how does the church and the government relate, since they're both given by God? How, how would you respond to some of those, those thoughts?
1: We go back to the first question, who is the head of the church? And Christ is the head of the church, is the head of every human government. Christ is also, we would say, the authority over the family. And government is simply an entity that can serve society as God has ordained it. And the moment that government is um, at odds with the head of the church, Christ, with the local church, uh, we cannot submit to it. We Even from... This morning, what uh, Nathan communicated um, so wonderfully from Acts chapter 5, uh, there's a decision that has to be made whether we obey God or man. And in this instance, uh, man being a form of government, we're at odds. We, we obviously choose the church. Uh, we are not equal to um, a local, state, federal, and even an international government. Uh, we stand above that um, we can cooperate with them when it's reasonable say for instance you mentioned spanish flu let's cooperate together uh, during world war ii there were times along the coast that the government would ask churches not to meet at night and in part because in certain coastlines because of u-boats and it was lighting And if there were a meeting that was providing lighting along the coast and they didn't want to have the lighting along the coast. And so pastors said, that's reasonable. But they made the decision. Uh, Say, for instance, if I were right now, if I were pastoring in Florida and and there was a threat off the coast and they approached us and said, "Uh, would you consider not meeting in the evening and having your lights on? But still, our elders would make that decision. We would see that's a service to our community. Um, and also, we would see it as protecting even our flock um, from something that we saw as a threat. But still, we would make the decision, not the government making it for us. That's a great distinction.
2: Yeah, I would go back to what Jesus said when the religious leaders brought him the coin with Caesar's image sure. on it. and. Uh, we're trying to trap him, and of course, our Lord wisely answered, Well, we render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and we render to God the things that are God's. And I think, even in that answer, Jesus designates a distinction between the secular and the sacred the things that belong to the state and the things that belong to the church. And actually, here in the United States, we have the the joy of being in a nation where that distinction has been recognized since the founding of our nation. In spite of (laughs) recent overreach by the state into the church, a separation between the secular and the sacred was established even in the Constitution. Our concern is not so much the Constitution, it's the Bible. But for Jesus to make that distinction, I think, is significant And the way that authority works in the church with Christ as the head of the church is he has delegated that authority to the elders of each local congregation who are directly accountable to him. First Peter five, the chief shepherd, they give account to him. And one day as elders of, I mean, Carl and I are elders at our local church. We will give an account for how we've shepherded that flock. And we just, And I know, Steve, you took a similar stand. We were not willing as an elder team to abdicate our authority to the secular government because the church doesn't belong to the government and they don't have any jurisdiction over the worship, the polity, or the doctrine of the church.
0: Sure. Very good. Well, speaking of of, uh, being elders in the church, at Grace Community Church, you know, so many Many, many churches and pastors have been grateful to Dr. MacArthur for the ta- the stand that he took. And we kind of uh, have seen him as as the linebacker uh, kind of running ahead and the rest of us kind of running behind. Um, and there are major legal battles, all of which have been resolved uh, to, to Grace Community Church's favor, and that's wonderful. Rather than talking about that, though, I was just curious. You two have been in the middle of all that. And you've been with the church and in the church. And I'd love to just get some insight on what at Grace Community Church, what's been the general feel and the general atmosphere in the church during all of this time, um, from beginning in COVID all the way through um, recent legal victories that have happened. Is is what, what has been the feel in Christ church in your church? Yeah,
1: that's church. a great question. And I think maybe, Nate, because you're sort of fresh off of writing some of this even that um, we'll be blessed by soon once it's published. What are your thoughts? I mean, I think we probably see it the same way, but I'd love to hear what you have observed.
2: I think it's made us incredibly grateful. There was, I think, a sense prior to COVID where we just kind of assumed that this was something that, hey, we, we meet together every week and we worship the Lord and we love it but there was something about the threat of it being taken away that made us all so much more grateful for what we enjoy week in and week out. We got to observe up close the courage of our pastor, Dr. MacArthur, and he led by example, and even similar to what I was saying this morning from Acts 5, it's not that he was trying to drum up some sort of inner fortitude. He just was consistent in his obedience. <laughs> and, and that consistent obedience was um, such an encouragement to the rest of our elder team as we, as we led our people through that and tried to shepherd them through that. We did stop meeting at first. Uh, March 15th, we went live stream. That was March 15th of 2020 because the initial projections of what the pandemic was going to do were, you know, apocalyptic, I think might be the adjective. And we also lived through that 15 days to flatten the curve and the 30 days to stop the spread. And after several months of realizing that the delay was becoming indefinite, we felt we came to the conclusion, better way to express that, that, we needed to put back into practice Hebrews 10, 25. We we can temporarily stop meeting, but we cannot indefinitely forsake the assembling of ourselves together. It's a biblical command. And it became obvious that in order to obey that command, we were going to have to respectfully violate some of the health restrictions. And we made that decision. And it was not a difficult decision in terms of knowing what to do, it did have some difficulty in terms of helping shepherd our people in that. Most of our people were overjoyed. In fact, they had started coming back to church before we officially opened it sure. uh, because they just wanted to be back together with the people of God. And with those who were more hesitant or more confused, we tried to exercise Second 2 Timothy 2.25, which is to be patient in seeking to convince those who needed to be convinced. Sure. But Yeah, Carl.
1: No, and I would say as far as atmosphere, going back to what you said, we had taken that for granted. And I can tell you when people started to come back in that first service, when many of our people were back, there was just this sense of spiritual synergy there. It was exciting. And it still remains that way. And we've even, in our church, because we had many other people that have come to Grace Church we aren't sure how many hundreds have come um, because they weren't meeting at all, and some they weren't even doing um, like Zoom. They just weren't meeting, which uh, I can't, I can't grasp that. I can't understand that. And and with that, there's just been this sense of energy, a preciousness to our worship that has been enhanced by being away. It's like that person that you haven't seen for a while, and they come back, and it's been years, and you get together and you talk, and there's an excitement about it. So that's been wonderful just for us in the life of Grace Community Church.
2: Yeah, Dr. MacArthur's made the comment a number of times that no one would have chosen COVID as a church growth strategy,
1: Yeah, but <laughs> it has
2: proven to be that. No. Our church has exploded. Oh, and- yes,
1: we are. We're wrestling through right now these issues with our children's ministry, and do we have to move around our fellowship groups just to accommodate enough space for kids? And the, the amount of people that we have in new members class is amazing.
0: And, and that's been the report from pastors all over the world. Yes, that if they have if they have stood firm, it's it's like there's been this big shift that faithful churches are having all those same you know, we we'll call them problems, but they're blessings. Sure whether we do with the kids and whether we do with this extra money that's coming in, whether we no, do with absolutely. extra people. And, and that seems to have been a theme. So uh, I think he was right. Nobody would choose COVID as a church growth strategy, but it seems to have blessed the church in many ways, not that we would want to go through it again.
1: No, and that's what's so amazing about it. You, you look at this, and initially there was this sense of, oh, my, what's going to happen? And I think we all sincerely stopped because we, we weren't sure, and there was a certain level of respect we gave the government, but after a while we realized this this is terribly inconsistent and we believe there's another agenda there, therefore, we began to meet again. And that, and when you even, you're right about it, was it courage, was it boldness? No, not really. It was simply obedience. Once we discern what was happening, we need to obey in this area again And you just had other men, unfortunately. And I do really say that sincerely, unfortunately, cowering. But I've seen it as the Lord saying, using COVID in many different ways to say, let me remove some of these children who were, they're not growing the way that they should. And let me send them to other places because they are my children. Let me send them to other places. And I think some that were not his children let me send them to a place where they will hear the gospel, Yes. and they'll be confronted over their sin, and I'll be exalted, and my son will be lifted up. And I, I see that as a part of God's sovereign plan as well.
0: Very helpful. We're. I, I think most uh, pastors who have been in the middle of this would agree that at least it's a reasonable guess that that this is not the... The only time this is going to
2: happen—that
0: oh. <laughs> uh, down the road, the, sure. the the next big thing will be whatever it is that, that the government can use to once again impose their their control. So we have a, sort of a moment to breathe right now. My question to you is that um, you know local churches around the world have had to decide what they're about, and that will probably come about again. So, what counsel would you give to the the average smaller local churches and their leaders? in light of this growing antagonism now toward the gospel, the growing antagonism toward the church, and the fact that governments uh, have found out that they can tell churches to close and most of them will do it. Mm-hmm. Um, so what would you tell those local leaders in this maybe slight moment of, of taking a breath?
1: Yeah, and say for instance, with some of our Grace Advanced churches or our TMS brass talking to them around the country and even around the world, um, they need to shore up their connections to other churches, that is, fellowship um, with one another, so that they can gain that support for the next thing that's going to happen. And it is coming. They need to think more soberly about preparing their leaders, training leaders in their church, so that when that next thing comes, they have many voices in their own church that can speak consistently, that can speak biblically to these issues. And I think another thing for churches to think about, um, even what we've heard, you know, in the two messages this morning, one thing we can extract from both, we're here for a reason, is to be a witness of Jesus Christ. And are, are we about our great commission? So I think they need to be in fellowship so that they can have support. They need to train up their leaders more readily so when the next thing happens... Uh, They have multiple voices saying the same thing in their midst. And then as well, think great commission.
0: Think great commission. Very good. Nate.
2: Yeah, I would encourage them to resolve in their own heart what their convictions truly are and determine ahead of time where they will not compromise. And then to have those conversations with their fellow elders so that together as a group of elders of that local congregation, they have already decided in their hearts, this is the truth, these are where our convictions lie, and we will not compromise. And if that red line is crossed, then we're going to take the stand that God calls us to take. Um, COVID caught the church in North America off guard, right? You mentioned even in your message, Steve, how Satan uses subtle tactics. And in 2019, if somebody had told us, hey, in six months, every church in North America will have voluntarily closed, we would have never believed it. Yep. And yet, that's what happened. And so I think this is a wake-up call for the church, for us to get ready, and for us to prepare ourselves, and for us to recognize things like church is essential, and we are not going to compromise or capitulate or give in to the intimidation or pressure that might come from a society that's antagonistic. So um, I think it's a time to reassess and resolve so that the next round we do better as the global church or at least the North American church than we did this time around. Yeah.
1: And it's, it, it's forced many people to think through those issues. Um, now there would be a number of people that would say, well, we would, have never, we would never shut down if they told us to stop preaching certain things. Right. We did this for health reasons, and we, it, we, we deemed it to be reasonable. But the question is, is that really the case? I wonder. I wonder if some of those same churches, when they say you can no longer speak that, will they take that stand? Will they be willing to be defiant against the government? And you're right. I think they do need to have that conversation and say, where is that line in the sand? Do we all agree on that line? Great, and it's moved forward.
0: I, I've known of some churches that have even generated documents for their own church with, with you know, Article One. We will not sure. bow to this and, and this and sure. that, and having their elders sign off on that, um, so that next time around they they don't have to think it through. Um, one of the to kind of transitioning from leadership to the church membership. Um, both of you, I'm sure, talked to many, many pastors, and, and I have as well. When COVID hit, there was sort of a um, uh, almost this. I, I was just in a car accident, sort of shock, a- and there was trouble thinking. There's uh, uh, you're trying to read your Bible to study for a sermon while taking in the news. Now, I don't like watching the news, but I watched more than I ever have in my life, and sure. and all of us did. Um, the challenges were huge, and I, I think about the the uh, smaller to medium-sized churches with maybe just a solo pastor who is figuring this stuff out all by himself, all while being now trapped at home and having to go out and find supplies for his family. And some of the pastors I talked to, you know, words like overwhelmed and inundated and just underwater emotionally all the time. Those are things that came up. And so given these challenges that you know, leaders have faced in the past couple of years. What are some things that you know, now with this in, in hindsight, if you were talking to the, the, the bread and butter church members of these churches on how they could encourage or strengthen or help their pastors when the next round of however the government decides to insert itself uh, happens, how can they be an encouragement now that we've been through this once? What, what can they do to be helpful? That's a good question.
1: And maybe it ties into what I said earlier about um, making sure that you have other people that that are a voice for you in that church. So you're not the only voice. And what do I mean by that, if you have other leaders, you've thought through that line in the sand, you've thought through biblically why you take the position, because you can't get to every person. You can't answer every question. And that's one reason that we train leaders anyway, so that you can have voices, other shepherds in that church. And and it doesn't mean for a person to be shepherding. It doesn't mean that they have to be an elder or deacon. It just means that they're a mature believer. Because all of those one another, those are just for the whole church. Um, Love one another, encourage one another, support one another. Um, All of those one another, that's for the entire body. And so if we're going to have effective body life, it means as many people as possible are going to live out those that sort of reciprocal living. And so those bread and butter people, are you investing in someone else? And are you encouraging them to invest in someone else? So when this next wave comes, um, we can all stand at the door
2: together and hold it shut.
0: Good. Thank you.
2: Yeah, I would I certainly agree with that and maybe just add to it, That as members of the body of Christ, you are to submit to the lordship of Christ just like your pastor is to submit to the lordship of Christ. And so first and foremost, the way you can serve your pastor is by being an obedient and faithful follower of Jesus. And all of those commands that your pastor is instructed to obey in the New Testament, you are also instructed to obey in the New Testament. So... It's not just the pastor who's supposed to say, hey, the church is to assemble. It should be the Christians in that church who are eager to assemble and all of those other similar commands that have been challenged in this recent season. It's incumbent upon the people of God to act like the people of God and then to call their pastors and their leaders to be the spiritual examples that Scripture calls them to be and then to support and pray for their leaders when their leaders are acting in the way that God calls them to act. So um, I think if Christians were acting like Christians, if everyone who professed to be a Christian started acting like a Christian, I think the the response of the church, even in this most recent season, would have been far different than it was. Mm -hmm. Sure.
0: Well, a couple more questions. And the, the next one is, kind of directed at what both of you spend the majority of your time doing and that is training men. Um, both of you are involved at a high level in training men for the gospel ministry and, and my guess would be that some of the content of lectures and even focus on pastoral ministry, we've had a big education in the last 18 months as to what's important. And so given the circumstances of the world today, what are you looking for in future shepherds? What are you looking for in men who are going to lead the church? Mm-hmm. How should future shepherds prepare to lead in a world that has now morphed in just a couple of years? Um, what, are you, what are you looking for that's maybe maybe slightly different or elevated or, or maybe it's exactly the same? So tell, tell me what you're looking for in a man who will lead in the church
2: yeah, we at the Master Seminary, and this is something that we've talked about more in the last 18 months than ever before, but we train spiritual first responders. That's how we feel about the men that we train. We're training those who are equipped to address the needs of the moment, which includes a global pandemic and the world's sudden realization that life is short and that human beings are mortal. And the only answer to all of that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we're seeking to train up ministers of the gospel, which is what we've always sought to do. But this particular season has elevated the importance of preparing spiritual responders who, like the Good Shepherd, are true shepherds of the flock and are not those who are hirelings or those who, you know, melt under the heat. I think the book of 2 Timothy kind of outlines what we're looking for. Second Timothy, Paul's last letter to Timothy, chapter one emphasizes, do not be ashamed of the gospel, but guard what has been entrusted to you. Chapter two, be an approved workman who can rightly handle the word of truth. Chapter three, avoid those who are false teachers, but instead rest in the sufficiency and authority of scripture. And then chapter four is preach the word in season and out of season. Those are the kind of men we want, those who are unashamed of the gospel, who rightly handle the word. And whether it's popular to do so or not, they're going to get behind a pulpit every week and say, this is what the word of God says.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and nothing to add to that, really. Just more so that those convictions that we've already had, they've been reaffirmed that we have to stand by them. We haven't increased the list or decreased it. It remains the same. But we have a strong conviction that we have to stand by it.
0: Yeah, this has been a time when uh preach the word is literally the only thing we can do. And sure. it's and we have seen God's faithfulness that the power of the preached word of God has changed lives and the, and as as the Lord like I love what you said, Carl, that He's taken people who are not being well fed and not being sure. nourished and put them in places where they will be nourished. Because now when when all of the other uh, the entertainment-type churches, you know, the churches that are trying to put on a product and a show which doesn't work on a 15-and-a-half-inch computer screen um, very well, it doesn't work anymore. Now the truth is the only thing that, that people are seeing. You know,
1: you're right. It's like with Andy Stanley when he made the comment that they were going to really shut down indefinitely, and his words were because their people are used to a certain performance, they would have to wait until they could provide it again. Well, think about that. Um, so, so much of it is so visual and interactive um, that if it were simply you listening to a, an exposition on the radio or on your smartphone, if you will, um, they don't really provide that. Yeah, it's, it's so much eye appeal. And you can't get, you're right, you can't get the eye appeal if you're not in the big auditorium with the huge screen and it's 4K um, that doesn't come with it. We were talking recently at um, dinner last night about people are actually, Stephen Muesli, who's my, one of my interns at Grace Advance, him, he used to drive 6,000 miles a month for his job because he was a surveyor in mining. And he said he would listen to John MacArthur tapes over and over and over. And some of them he wore out because it's just truth. You're driving 6,000 miles a month and you're just hearing truth. And it's the Bible. It's the Bible. But if, if you're putting forth a production, you can't get that from the cassette tape. Yeah, It just doesn't work, does it? I mean, you can try to, um, in some sort of uh, way, have clashing of symbols and say, this happened right now. Can't you just see it? <laughs> right now an elephant came on stage. Isn't it wonderful? <laughs> but that just doesn't get it done. Um, but when it's truth-based, you don't need production.
0: It's just the word, the word, word of God. I have one last question. And this is, if I had asked this up front, we would not have talked about anything else. <laughs> um, so I wanted to save this for the end and, and for you, uh, what kind Nate, you especially, um, this is not fair to ask, but uh, too many to choose from. A couple of heroes of the faith that particularly pertaining to the need for courage in our day that, that have inspired you and meant a lot to you. And, um, I haven't said anybody can go first. I'm going to let Nate go first on this one, though.
2: Well, after this morning's message, I have to put Polycarp at the top of the list. (laughs) Um, Steve, I really did appreciate the way that you presented the faithful witness of Polycarp. Polycarp's name means fruitful. Fruitful. Doesn't mean many fish. I know that's what it sounds like, but it <laughs> it, it means fruitful. Oh my! <laughs> and you you think about him standing there before the Roman proconsul and sure. saying that incredible line, which Steve read for us this morning: 86 and six years have I served Christ, and he never did me any injury. How then could I blaspheme my Savior and my King?" And then him willingly going. To his death as a witness to Jesus Christ. So it's it's hard to improve on the testimony of Polycarp, but there are so many others. And of course, John Fox, who lived 1,500 years after Polycarp, wrote a lot of this down in what's called Fox's Book of Martyrs. And then you go from there through the Puritans and the Covenanters and others, even up to our own day in parts of the world where the church is persecuted. And you see faithful men and women who are willing to take a stand for Christ. And And it really is, again, that Hebrews 12 reality that they serve as witnesses that ought to motivate us as we seek to run the race with endurance. And then the key point, we don't fix our eyes on them we fix our eyes on Christ. And certainly there are, are many stories of other individuals in church history, but you told that story this morning of Polycarp so well that no wanna gild the lilies. So thank you.
1: <laughs> thank
2: you. Carl, what oh, about you? Mind.
1: You know, I would this may seem this answer may surprise you, but perhaps not. Um, I've learned that maybe over time some of my greatest heroes are the men that you'll never hear about. Yes. It's the man that's faithfully ministering in that church of 75, 100, maybe 50. And he's doing it faithfully. And no one will ever hear about him. He's never published. Um, He won't, no one will listen to his tapes while they drive 6,000 miles a month, uh, except for maybe his members. And I've met a number of those men around the country that are faithfully and around the world who are faithfully ministering. Mm -hmm. The Word of God, and they have a passion and a joy in that. Um, so I look to them, and they inspire me. Um, so that's
0: my. That's a, that's a great answer because that's ninety nine point nine percent of the leaders of the church. Sure. Well, um, thank you, gentlemen. Nate, do we have? There's no Nate. Is there a Nate? Okay, so that means he there has he's something. coming. The other, gonna, the other Nate dog. The other the Nate, Nate. Nate Dog. Yeah. I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna close in prayer real quick and then you do your thing. So thank you guys so much. This has been a delight. Our Father, let some of these words be an encouragement to your people, hearing both here in this auditorium and and live stream, Lord, all that you would have us to remember, particularly, Lord, the call to courage. Thank you for the words of wisdom from these men of God, Lord. I pray that They would serve to bolster our courage, to inspire us, Lord, in the days to come when those ungodly influences would bang against the doors of the church. Let us be the salt and light that was spoken of this afternoon, Lord. And we ask you that Christ would do his perfect will in the church and that he would continue to build his church. Thank you for the words that were spoken this afternoon, Lord. I pray they're an encouragement to all who hear. We praise you in Christ's name. Amen.